welcome back to episode two of the Adapt or Die podcast. This is Josh Hydock. This is Dave Brummer. And uh, today we're going to be talking about an expansion of the first episode where we went over input and response, basically the, uh, the root ingredients of life. And today we're going to be expanding on that a little bit and talking about what lies in between input and response, which is an organism. So uh, Dave and I had a really good conversation about this the other day. And we kind of came to the conclusion that the state of the organism determines the response that a specific input is going to end up giving. So uh, we got some good stuff planned today, and uh, I'm going to let Dave talk a little bit more about that as well. So yeah, let's actually jump right into that uh, that idea that you you have a lot of different things that will change the the status of a particular organism, right? If you want to use a really simple example, we use a person that's coming in after a long day of work, right? They're stressed out, they're tired, they maybe didn't sleep very good, they're dehydrated, uh, you know, they skipped lunch because they had a meeting or something like that. Even if I have the best workout in the world planned for that person, and I know that if they perform this workout perfectly, they should expect to get this sort of an adaptation, whether it's fat loss or, or building some muscle, because there are so many things that go into that, if they don't come in in a state of sort of perfect readiness, I can't really reasonably expect them to get the adaptation that I want. Um, so when it comes to like me personally working with a client, I love working kind of backwards. So I love starting with that adaptation and working backwards to what sort of an input I need uh, to get to that adaptation. Um, but like we were talking about, there are so many factors that go into that and it's such a complex constantly changing organism that like the very best we can do is sort of aim in the general direction of an adaptation but really at the end of the day we're basically shooting at a constantly moving target so I mean if we can get 90% of the adaptation that we want like that's really really good uh, you know and if somebody comes in and, and they don't have all of those other factors taken care of if like I said they're overstressed underhydrated um, poor sleep habits, then, you know, if we get 50% of that adaptation, that, that may be the best that we can do on a particular day. Um, so that's a, that's kind of one of the, the points that I, I really wanted to, uh, to address in so sort of a client of mine, for example, uh, I have a guy that comes in and he's, he's overweight, he's about 270 pounds. Um, and he's in a situation where he's yo-yoed up and down with his weight, 50 pounds up, 50 pounds down a number of times. Uh, he happens to be 60 years old, and so his metabolism is just at a point where it's pretty much had enough. Right. It's you know he's not going to get the adaptation of significant weight loss the same way that somebody that's 30 years old and has not gone through that is going to get. So in a situation like his, while I can work back from that adaptation that I want, which is weight loss, um, almost no input that I give him is really going to get 90% of that adaptation that I want. Uh, so with a, a person like that, what I tend to do as, as my personal philosophy um, is aim differently. So instead of aiming directly at weight loss, I sort of took the focus off of that and I said, let's make you the healthiest overweight 60-year-old that you can possibly be. Uh, because I don't, while I maybe not, I don't have the ability to turn you into, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sly Stallone at 60 years old. I can make sure that you don't die of a heart attack when you're 65. Absolutely. Um, 
And so that's a really, really important point. But I wanted you to tell me a little bit about how that sort of works in your world, like how you start with an adaptation that you're looking for and how you maybe work back and, and get to the input. So I really like that. And kind of going back a little bit, human beings are such a, a dynamic state of being. We're constantly changing. And just like we were kind of talking about, the same input can bring about a wildly different response based off multiple things even from time the same input today may bring about a different response in a week from now or a month from now or a year from now and uh and i think you're gonna we're both gonna have a field day on that because that starts to get us into progression you know there is no progress without progression and that's why inputs have to change over time that's why you know that stereotypical oh you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again or your body's gonna you know adapt and uh, I think that's been kind of a, a little bit of a butchered idea because, yes, you don't want your body to get used to something in the way that it becomes easy, but at the same time, creating a, a specific input and slowly changing certain variables, variables of that input is going to be what's going to bring about that positive adaptation time and time again. So in my world, working, I like the idea that you... Uh, you said, working back from the adaptation you want. So really easy example in manual therapy world is, and something that I've learned a lot about recently, is the difference between working with someone who has a painful dysfunction and a non-painful dysfunction. So to kind of bring into the mix uh, two separate clients of mine. So first, what, what's the difference between that? What's a non-painful dysfunction versus a, a painful one? Like, give me an example. So for instance, uh, client one had a extremely painful knee. She had had three surgeries within the span of 12 months, uh, meniscus repair, a uh, total knee replacement, and then they had to go back in for a uh, revision to that knee replacement. So that caused her so much pain. She had, she was a smart lady. She had done her homework. She had tried multiple routes of physical therapy. She had tried a lot of different stuff out there and really had had no success. Everything bothered her. So she was actually uh, referred to me by another client. And this specific client was uh, what I would consider a non-painful dysfunction. She had extremely tight hips Hips did not move well, hips did not rotate well, and she wanted to play better golf. She wanted to expand her uh, you know, swing, her backswing, and, and she had come to me for, for that, to increase that range of motion, but there was no pain present. So let me ask you this. How does somebody that doesn't have pain know that something is wrong, right? Is it just like she feels tight, or is it she doesn't know that and she's just looking for somebody to help her improve her golf swing. So that's a, a, a great question because what it ends up being is a lot of times people end up starting to feel something continue to get worse. They start to not even notice that right now is is necessarily bad or there's a lack of range of motion. The, what, what they start to notice is they have less range of motion mm -hmm. and it's getting progressively shorter and shorter. Uh, so that was what this case was. This case was... You know, I used to be able to swing when my golf lesson and hit parallel, and now it's not. And I just can't seem to get back there. And uh, she was looking to recover that. So in that case, it ended up being fairly simple. The, the techniques used, the inputs used were fairly cut and dry. I was able to do, you know, multiple types of uh, myofascial release and uh, muscular release 
types of uh, stretching and contractions against, against those stretches to induce that positive adaptation of increasing the range of motion and once expanded start to give it control. Is that a, a form of like PNF? So that's a even better question. PNF is interesting because PNF is one of those tricks of the trade mm -hmm. and not the trade itself. Uh, PNF essentially has been, in my opinion, misunderstood as to what it is. You see a lot of stuff online, a lot of stuff on Instagram, someone doing a stretch, this is the end of range of motion, PNF contraction, oh, it went further, awesome, look what I just did. In reality, it's essentially convincing the nervous system that you have a little bit more strength and control at that range of motion and the nervous system then grants you access to roughly about 10 to 15 degrees more range of motion. Wow. So at that time, that is extremely temporary. And that's what I always try to tell clients because I do use a PNF style contraction. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening is that is the expansion portion of uh, range of motion improvement. And it can't stop at expansion. The nervous system is going to take that new range of motion right back if you don't teach it how to control that range. So like I said, this lady, fairly cut and dry, expanded the range of motion, teach her how to control it with some active mobility drills. Phenomenal success, ended up feeling substantially better within a couple, uh, couple weeks of two to three times a week sessions. And uh, before you know it, she had gone back to her instructor, her instructor had taken a side-by-side -side photo, and it ended up being substantially different. So to kind of roll through with the other client, this was this client was a lot different because she had a lot of pain. So the, it, that knee had had multiple, multiple months and months of chronic pain. And pain is something interesting because pain is not a good measure to look at when you're trying to uh, think clinically. So pain is very, very subjective and pain is not particularly well understood. So you and I have talked about this with your shoulder. Pain, an easy way to look at it is, uh, is uh, the nervous system giving the area of the body a hug. And the last thing you want to do is go in and dig and you know pry and, and throw a, a fist or an elbow or a barbell into that site of, of injury and insult. That's... God, somewhere Kelly's thread is cursing <laughs> the game right now for Sandwich. And see, exactly, exactly. But... The reason mobility wad works so well is when there's not a place of injury. That works well to okay. expand range of motion when there's not pain. That so that's sense. where we're getting into that kind of distinction. Because uh, when you're with pain, you have to give that area confidence. You have to teach that, teach the nervous system, teach the body, and give it specific inputs to produce the adaptation of calming the central nervous system down. So with this lady, almost anything I did was painful. She couldn't walk on it, skin rolling, slight pressure, going in and just trying to warm the area up, she was already wincing. So I stopped, took my hands off, and for about 15 minutes we did some diaphragmatic breathing and just kind of taught her how to relax the musculature surrounding that knee. Everyone is so hyped with uh, activating muscles, and an equally important part is learning how to relax muscles. Yeah, that's huge. So that's what we ended up working a lot with is slowly giving completely pain-free inputs to that knee. 
and slowly over time in conjunction with her learning to relax, learning to not be angry at that knee, not be frustrated at that knee and think of it as this blight on her life, but to to come from a place of almost as hippie as it sounds, kind of self-love and forgiveness of that knee. (laughs) It sounds goofy, but it, it worked tremendously well just by allowing that nervous system to calm down in response to that knee. And over time, with you know pain-free stimulus, whether it was be holding it in my hand, whether it would be trying to do some isometric contractions in a, in a completely you know easy range of motion, slowly the nervous system started to get that confidence. And we were able to bend it a little more and give it confidence there, bend it a little more, give it confidence there. And that's what ended up working really well. And again, same adaptation, essentially more range of motion, more useful range of motion. But with one, I was able to go in, you know, do some do some relatively aggressive uh, techniques and aggressive stretching and aggressive mobility. The other, it was the exact opposite. It was breathing work and looking at it from a mental standpoint. And both ended up getting the same adaptation of improvement. So it's really interesting. It is, and uh, I have a question about that because I remember Tom Myers was here and he wrote Anatomy Trains, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Mm -hmm. And he said something that stuck with me, which is that as you go through that journey, and I'm thinking of your your first client that didn't have pain but had limited range of motion. He was saying that sometimes as you free up range of motion, you'll actually end up with pain. So you go from a non-painful state to a painful state and he said that's not only not a bad thing he said it's actually part of the sort of recovery process if you will or the adaptation process to what you're doing and I was just wondering if you experience that with some of your your clients doing what you do or if you have somebody like that you know that says okay they're so locked down and they're so tight their body is searching so much for that stability that they achieve that stability right? they adapt to that stimulus of you know, of, of instability by basically locking joints down. And so you basically take that pain away, but you also take the mobility away. And so do you ever run into that where you have somebody that as their mobility increases, they suddenly realize, hey, this is actually painful because I'm not controlling it? Absolutely. Uh, you hit the nail on the head and that's an awesome topic to get into. Uh, just like what I was saying, if the body does, if a joint, let's take, you know, the example of a joint, for instance, if it doesn't have experience in a range of motion. So let's say we even talked about this last week, you know, with doing squats, if a knee hasn't gotten past 90 degrees of flexion and I all of a sudden give it the expansion of being able to come to 110 and I leave it when it goes into that range of motion, the nervous system is going to be like, whoa. We haven't been here in a long time. We don't have much control here. We don't have any experience here. Awesome, awesome analogy to segue in. Uh, imagine at each joint there's a sketch artist and he's able to sketch out a really clear grid mapping representation of the range of motion that it typically goes into. All of a sudden, if you expand it, there's no grid. There's no sketch of it's that. Off the map. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Right. So that's the body responds by creating pain. What's someone gonna do if they hit pain at 95 degrees of range of motion? They are stopping. <laughs> They're not gonna go any further. So essentially, the nervous system got what it wanted, even though there is no insult to that area. So that's the other thing to keep in mind: is why is there pain? Is there pain 
essentially for no reason. And that's why having what you, uh, I think you do a really good job of this. I've overheard you with clients is you do a lot of educating. And I think that really sets apart, you know, good, good training, good therapy from mediocre training and therapy is giving them just as much of their money's worth in education and and talking them through what's happening and talking them through possibilities of what's going to happen. Because like you said earlier, it's such a dynamic situation. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that's all you. Uh, Yeah. I was just going to say like to me, that's, that's really, really important because, you know, like I said at the beginning, when I, when I train somebody, uh, we never just do an exercise for shits and giggles. We never, I never just throw something at them as a time filler or just because it's, you know, chest and back day or whatever it is. Like there has to be a reason why we're doing an exercise and not just that, but there has to be a reason why that exercise is the best exercise. So if we're doing a chest press, why is the chest press on this day better than a bench press or better than a push up? Um, and I try as often as I can to explain that to my clients because one, it helps me remember it and two, it helps them buy in so they know that I'm, you know, I have a purpose for them. Uh, some people don't really care. Some people just say, listen, I don't give a crap. I just want huge pecs, which is fine. So then I was like, all right, fine. Um, I remember I had a guy once that I was training. We'd been training for, I don't know, probably two months. And he was like, so when am I going to start seeing my biceps? What do you mean, man? We don't really do biceps specifically. Uh, and he's like, yeah, so far all I've noticed is like, I'm sleeping better and I have more energy and you know, like, uh, like, all right, my clothes are fitting a little bit looser (laughs) and I've lost a little bit of weight. My body fat's gone down. He's like, but I don't have any biceps yet. And I was like, well, not for nothing, but like, those are some adaptations that a lot of people really, really want. Absolutely. Um, but you know, as it goes to the, the education piece, like that's really important because I will sometimes tell people like, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, and I don't mean that as a way like I'm going to make people suffer, I'm going to put them in pain, but it is, you know, if I put somebody into one of those positions that they're not familiar with, and especially if it's something with mobility, right, if we're trying to improve their mobility to get them to move more freely, um, you know, some of those things hurt, as you know, like some of those things are going to cause pain, and that's a part of the process. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, clients that will come in and they'll tell me about an ache or a pain or a symptom that they have, and knowing what I know, I, you know, I might tell them, okay, I'm going to take note of that, but there's nothing I'm going to do about that because it's a normal part of the process. You know, the crazy muscle soreness that you have after that first workout is normal. You know, you've done muscle damage, but your body is going to sort of uh, exhibit that repeated bout. So you're not going to get that same amount of pain the next time. It's never going to be that bad again. Um, and people go, okay. And I even did this with a client just last week. Like the first time that we got into his, his goal is pure hypertrophy. He just wants to get jacked. And, the, and he's a pretty skinny kid. So the first time we did that, he didn't really have any, any experience lifting weights. So we were doing some biceps and some triceps as a superset. And I didn't see him for a week. And when I saw him again, he was like, man, I was so sore. He's like, I thought I had done something wrong. I thought I did damage because it hurts so bad. Uh, and I said, no, that's really, really normal. Like even if, and we didn't do a ton, right? We did like three sets of 12 bicep cable curls and three sets of 12 cable tricep press downs, but he was so sore in like his, you know, his elbows, his brachioradialis, uh, and his brachialis that he was concerned. Uh, and I said, no, it's really, really normal. And I said, and you're not going to be that sore again. And to sort of give him some confidence in that we did the exact same workout again that day. And so you know, there's, there's a benefit to doing that, but really what I wanted to show him is I wanted to give him the confidence to know that what I said was true, that it's not just lip service. I'm not just ignoring his pain. I'm not ignoring his, 
you know, his soreness and, and making him feel like it doesn't matter, but to show him that really and truly, like, you're not going to be that sore again. So we did the exact same workout with the same weights and same reps, and he came back four days later, and he was like, I, I, it, it was sore for half a day and or a day, and it was gone, uh, and now he's sort of back to, to where he's at. Um, but I have a question for you. So as we relate to, like, adaptations, uh, Hans Selye, really famous for his general adaptation model, um, and we generally abide by that in the personal training world, right? We're, we have this idea of like, you know, performance decreases after training and then we get the super compensation and it goes up. Um, does that apply or is that same sort of a model applicable in the manual therapy world? Is there like a, a sort of an adaptation kind of curve that occurs with like mobility or stretching or any of those things where it's like you, you know, you, you, you give a stimulus, you give an input, and then you have to sort of give some time for that to quote unquote super compensate. Absolutely. Cause at the end of the day, manual therapy and mobility training is me and you had said this before. We are dealers of input. That's all it is. We give input and, uh, in that input in manual therapy, just as it is in training, is stress you're inducing stress whatever that may be uh, whether that be a stretch whether that be me putting pressure and you know stroking through a hamstring that is a stressful response that is they're going to create us a, a stress induced response and that ends up being the huge thing is it just what changes is you have to realize kind of what I, I have to realize what I'm working with. I'm working with a, a organism that is in a different overall state. They're not ready for a huge amount of inflammation. A lot of my clients especially are not ready for a huge amount of inflammation. So it becomes a really important uh, point for me to know how much stress I'm giving. And, uh, and that's why definitely I've seen, just kind of like you were saying, I've had people tell me that they were sore after a session and, you know, tell me that there were about two, three days where, you know, their, their hips were sore, their, their shoulders were sore. And, you know, they were like worried, like, oh man, like, did he go too hard? Did he do too much? But then over the course of the next day, they were able to play the best water volleyball game of their life. They were able to, you know, pick up weights and, uh, and move sandbags around their backyard that they hadn't been able to yet. So absolutely, there is that kind of super compensation curve and uh, it just becomes really, really important to, again, going back to it, knowing the organism that you're working with and knowing that they're going to be able to compensate for that adaption or compensate for that input, excuse me, and, um, and knowing that they're going to respond to it favorably. For sure. So I'm going to sort of wrap this up with, uh, with a statement and you can kind of uh, agree or disagree. Um, I'm going to say that neither you nor me nor any other practitioner or personal trainer on the planet really and truly knows anything about what we're doing. Couldn't I'm going to say that more. we are all taking our best, somewhat educated guesses. Uh, but listen, the reality is this. like We are such complex organisms, and there are so many variables that go into this stuff that, like we talked about at the beginning – the very best that we can do is say, listen, and we can't really honestly say this to a client and say, hey, we're going to guess and try this because people are paying us reasonable amounts of money in order to get them results. And and really, that's that's all that matters, right? So if we are looking for an adaptation and we get pretty close to it, 
that's kind of all that matters. Like if we did something perfectly versus imperfectly, um, it kind of doesn't matter. You know, maybe that's one of the things we can talk about next time is this idea of like, you know, is there an optimal way to train? Yeah, probably. But is there a wrong way to train? Maybe, maybe not. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. This is all <laughs> extremely educated, but main word is guesswork. <laughs> uh, sure and I think I mentioned this before. I don't know who it is the, to attribute this quote to, but if someone had it figured out, everyone else would be out of the job because it would be easy. Everyone would be able to have access to it. And, uh, you know, it would, it would drastically change. So for right now, the best we can do is, is kind of stick with the latest research, stick with the research that is done the best and uh and also you know kind of the work in the trenches which i think you and i are personal experience exactly yeah fortunate enough to know both firsthand you know doing it doing this work with ourselves uh training each other you know people of a a relatively higher um state of being and then also being able to work with a wide variety of people and uh and just like i said had i not had both and both ends of the spectrum that super painful dysfunction and the zero pain dysfunction you know i wouldn't realize that it ends up being a spectrum and uh and man spectrums are tough so yeah man hit the nail on the head with that one very cool man well this was a good one we'll uh, we'll get back after it again next week and we'll come up with some more good stuff sounds like a plan all right buddy take it easy you too